Good afternoon to all our friends who are joining us online. Uh, we're now into number 11 of our series on Ecclesiastes. Uh, is life worth living? And today we're in for a very fun and happy topic. It is on the topic of death. Well, there are not many passages in the Bible that actually talks about how to live with death. It talks about life and death, but not a lot about how you live with death. And today's passage is one of the very few in the Bible. So what I hope to do today is that we'll go on a journey together to explore God's Word and try to find God's voice that is speaking to all of us today that will help us at the end of the day to live more wisely with the time that we have now. Is that cool? Let me start with a story. There were three men who died on the same day and went up to heaven. And when they went up to heaven, they were met with the angel at the gates of heaven. And the angel asked them, hey guys, welcome. Um, I can see your funerals happening on earth right now and you guys are all surrounded by your loved ones. So what do you hope your loved ones will be saying about you right now? So he turned to the first man and he said, what do you think? And the first man answered the angel, well, I hope that they would say that I was a good doctor and I cared for my uh, patients. I had integrity in the way I dealt with all my patients and I always looked to their best interests. The angel said, very good. How about you, sir? He turned to the second man. And the second man turned to the angel and replied, well, I hope that they would say that I was a good pastor who loved God passionately and loved people practically. And then the angel said, oh, that's very good. Sounds very familiar, but that's very good. And then he turned to the third guy who was a young man. And the young man said, mm, I have to think about it. I got it, okay. What I really hope for them to be saying right now about me is, I think he's moving. <laughs> think about that for a little bit. <laughs> I find that in general, there are three attitudes that people have towards the topic of death. The first one is denial. It's kind of like the young man, I'm not dead, I'm not dead, I don't want to die. It's almost like if we don't think about it, if we don't talk about it, somehow it would just go away. Somehow if we don't talk about it, we can just avoid the topic, we don't have to face up with it. And, and, I, and I, have a, I have a lot of that kind of experiences in, in my Chinese culture, especially during Chinese New Year, right? If you say the word die or death, someone is going to kill you. You're not supposed to say that word during Chinese New Year. It's almost like, yeah, you know, it's there, but it doesn't really exist. And then the second attitude that people have towards death is to be dismissive. And in that, in that attitude, you recognize that death is there, but you say to yourself, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of dying. Come what may, I'm not afraid. I'm going to live life like a shooting star. I'm going to live to the best of my abilities, and then I will just go out like a fizzle. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go for it. Everything that I want to do, I'm going to make that happen. Living without the consequences of death or without the understanding that death is going to happen. And the third attitude is this, to be discerning. And to be discerning means having an attitude where we recognize that death is going to happen, but we live with full consciousness of that and making life as significant and as fruitful and as rich as we can before we go. So this is what the teacher is looking at today. How can we discern how to live with death? And today he's gonna give us some very important nuggets of wisdom. So let's turn into Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse one to 10. 
So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not, as it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go! Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. And whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we're going to approach a topic that could be very raw and very real for some of us. And so we come to you, loving God, with hearts of expectancy, but also to tread carefully with gentleness but with confidence that what you say in your word is true. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9 begins with this phrase, So I reflected on all this and I concluded. What does the reflecting on all this mean? Up till now, up to chapter 9, he, the, the teacher has taught about many things. And he thought, taught about all the different obstacles in life, wealth, wisdom, toil, pleasure. He talked about many different things. And now he's going to face to face, come face to face with the biggest obstacle of life itself, and that is death. So he's bringing all his thoughts together and bringing, distilling it into the essence of what he thinks living could be. And here he discerns three observations about life and death. And we're going to quickly turn to them today. So number one. He discerns the first observation that God is in control. He says in verse 1, the righteous, and the, the, the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. So this is the teacher's observation. Whether you're good or bad, whether you are wise or not, whether you are righteous or not, you don't know two things about what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Isn't that true? We don't know if happy things are going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if something is going to happen that is going to make us really sad. We don't know if something is going to happen that will make us really stressed or really anxious. Some of us, we don't even know what we're going to have for breakfast tomorrow. Haven't thought about it. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, not even love or hate. You don't know what awaits you. 
But even though life is uncertain for the teacher, he says this with absolute confidence. We are in God's hands. Brothers and sisters, we are in God's hands. What does that mean? It means we are sheltered. It means that we are safe. It means that we are secure. Because when you go through life and you don't know what's going to happen to you, the safest pair of hands is in the hands of the Almighty God. If you want to put your hand on something to feel secure, you want to put your hands in the hands of God because you are going to be in God's hands, says the teacher. And Jesus says this in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never die. Jesus is talking about spiritual death, death forever. You may die on earth, but you will never die the death that's going to wipe you out forever. You're going to be with him. He says, they will never die. And no one will snatch them from my hand. So as Christians, we have this assurance that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what comes to you, no matter what happens to you, you're always going to be in the hands of Jesus because no one can snatch us from the hands of Jesus. Amen. And so whatever happens to us in that sense is never out of God's control because God knows all things. He's never taken by surprise in what happens to us. He knows, and He's always there. We are in God's hands. God is in control. I wrote this in my notes, and maybe you might want to write this on your notes. The future is my friend when Jesus is my Lord. The future is my friend when Jesus is my Lord. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to see the future as my enemy, but my friend when Jesus is my Lord. So this is the first observation that the teacher makes. God is in control. And then he very quickly moves on to the second observation. And, th and that is, death is inevitable. He says in verse 2-3, all share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who don't. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take oaths. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. He's talking about death. The same fate will ultimately happen to every single one of us. And it doesn't matter if you're righteous or not. It doesn't matter if you're clean or you're unclean. It doesn't matter if you're good or you're bad. It doesn't matter even if you're religious, if you're a Christian, or if you believe in some other religion or if you don't believe in God, we are all gonna have to go. It doesn't matter if you're watching online or if you're watching here in Williton or you're joining us here in Williton, we are all gonna die. Benjamin Franklin, one of the ex-US uh, presidents who was passed on a long time ago, he said this, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. I, and I say, although taxes, some can avoid, death we cannot avoid. Because death is no respecter of persons. The millionaire in, in the rich suburb, he's going to go. He's going to die. The homeless in the, in the city, they're going to die. The CEOs, they're going to die. The janitors, they're going to die. The good people, they're going to die. The, old, the bad people, they're going to die. The old people, they're going to die. And the young people sometimes are going to die too. On that very happy note, look around you. Turn to the people around you and give them a nice friendly wave. Show them that you treasure them. In about 100 years from now, none of us are going to be in this auditorium. Not because FCC will close down, but because we're not going to be here. 
in 100 years is very solemn, but is also very sobering for us to remember that death is inevitable. But we're not going to end here, I promise you. And even though we can't be sure of when we're going to die, how we're going to die, or who we will be around when we die, the teacher reminds us, he started off with this, then he says that we are in God's hands. And it's really important for us to enter into that. We are all in God's hands, even if you don't know what's going to happen to you. But the Bible actually says two things about death that you can be sure of. Two things that you can be sure of. One is the fact that we will die, which is what it's saying here. And the second one is where we go after we die. The big question, where do we go after we die? The Bible says in 1 Peter, because Jesus was raised from the dead, and we sang it so many times today, didn't we? That Jesus was raised from the dead. But because he was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life. Come on, somebody say amen. And we have everything to live for including a future in heaven, a future in heaven. And the future starts now. You don't have to wait. God's life begins even now, but you have a future in heaven. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you will have it all, life, healed, and whole. So the Bible tells us that as Christians, we are headed to be with God in heaven. And that's something that we can be sure of. I heard a story about a very old tombstone in an American cemetery in the state of Indiana. And on this very old tombstone were written the words uh, of the person who, or, or rather the person had wanted it to be written on the tombstone. And the word says this, pause stranger when you pass me by, as I am now, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And some joker of a passerby decided to walk past the cemetery and saw that tombstone. And so he took the liberty to take a stone and decided to inscribe his own response to the bottom of the tombstone. And this is what he wrote. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. And isn't that true, brothers and sisters, to, but today we don't have to be worried about which way we're going. We don't have to be worried or fearful or stressed or concerned because we know we're following Jesus. We know where Jesus went and we will follow him. We know who we are following. And that's really, really important for us to remember. When it comes to the topic of death, your future is secure. I wrote this in my notes and maybe you want to write it down too. My future is to be in heaven with Jesus. And maybe some of us need to remind ourselves in this moment, my future is to be in heaven with Jesus. When you put your trust in Jesus, you will follow him there. That's the second thing that I want to leave us with. And the third observation that the teacher says, so God is in control, death is inevitable, and then he goes on to look at life, and he says, but life is invaluable. He says in verse 4, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. What is the teacher's response to the certainty of death? He doesn't give up. You realize never in Ecclesiastes does he say, does he say life is therefore not worth living and we should all just die. In the face of certain death, he goes on to say this. You still have hope. You still have a chance. You're still breathing. And because you're still alive, that is better than nothing. You still have hope. 
and you still have a chance. And I want to speak to some of us today, particularly whether you're online or whether you're here in Williton, and maybe you're struggling with the question of, is my life worth living? And maybe some of us have been asking that question, and that has become like a record that's been playing in your head. Because you're, you're entering into some very dark places in life, and you're feeling like there is nothing left for you anymore. Is life worth living? Am I better off dead than alive? Is there anything worth living for, for me? Do I have hope? Today, the word of the Lord says, anyone who is among the living has hope. You still have a hope. You still have a chance. You're still alive, and that is better than nothing. The teacher says this in a proverb. He says, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. And I know in our generation, in this era, in, in Perth and in many cities, our dogs are the cutest things in our family, isn't it? So we name our dogs all kinds of cute names. We name them Rex, we name them Pewee, we name them Teddy, we name them Wiggles, we name them all kinds of cute little names. And when they come to us, oh, you're so cute, so cute. We want to pet all the dogs, even if they don't belong to us. We just want to pet them, right? It's just human instincts. But in the time of Ecclesiastes, dogs were actually considered the, one of the lowest and the most filthiest of animals. But in contrast, the lion, he's a noble, kingly animal. And the teacher says, even the lowest living life form has more value than a dead lion, has more hope, is more good, is better, has more value. So today, we must remember that life is always better. What is the teacher telling us? It is always better to be alive than to be dead. Why? Let's look further down. He says this, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have all long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. So what is he saying? The dead knows nothing gains nothing, feels nothing, remembers nothing. But the living, those who are alive, they know something. Even if that knowledge is the knowledge that they're gonna die one day, that makes life more, that, like, that makes life better and more worth living than being dead. Why is it so? Because when we know that we are gonna die, with the knowledge that we're gonna die one day, because of that, we can change. We can adjust. We can try again. We can choose how to live wiser and better. So as long as you're alive, friends, there's still a chance. You can still have hope. You can adjust. You can change. You can try again. You can choose how to live wiser and better. When I was 20 years old, I decided to take my driving lessons back in Singapore. So um, I wasn't a very good driver, nor was I a very good student. Uh, so I actually failed my first test. Um, and this is the steering wheel of the car that I crashed. No, not really, not really. And in Singapore, I had to engage a private driving instructor. Uh, and back in the day, uh, they would teach you with a stick that sometimes they will press on your foot to help you step on the accelerator. And sometimes that stick will also be used to punish you. 
if you do something wrong, whoosh, right? So that's what happened to me. I was driving for my first few lessons. I was learning to drive. I was really nervous, as every 20-year-old uh, who's driving for the first time would be. And I started off driving. And within a few minutes, my driving instructor took the stick and hit me. Whoosh. I was like, huh? Huh? And then he looked at me and he said, check your mirror. Ah, <laughs> oh, 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 okay, okay. And a few minutes after, whoosh, huh? Check your mirror. And then I begin to understand that, okay, so when you drive, you don't just look in front, you also have to look at the mirrors. And one of the things that my driving instructor taught me was if you want to drive well, or if you want to pass, well, the way he would say it is, if you want to drive well, and if you want to drive, you want to pass your driving test, you have to look forward, and you also have to look backward. So that's the way he told me. And I realized that that lesson in driving also applies to life. Sometimes knowing that we will die and reminding ourselves that we, are not, we won't live forever, it's kind of like looking in the rear view mirror while you're driving every once in a while. Because what's going to happen is if, when you drive and if you don't like look at your rear view mirror, you're looking in front of you and you're driving all the time, you have no clue what is going on around you. You're not driving wisely. But at the same time, if you're too caught up in your rear view mirror, you're going to end up driving like that and nobody drives like that. You're going to crash into something within a matter of time. And in the same way, when we live, when we are moving ahead in life, there might be many things that are worth chasing after. The new gadget, a new home, a new car, that dream career, that dream girl, you want to get the marriage, you want to have all things good in life, and we're chasing after all these things. It's really good that while we're chasing after all these things, that we sometimes take a step back and look behind and say, oh yeah, I'm going to go one day, and I better treasure what I have and to live wisely. And in the same way, when we live life, don't look at the rearview mirror all the time. Don't get paralyzed by fear. Don't get paralyzed by death. Even though death is going to come, you don't have to necessarily look at it all the time. Because if you keep looking at the rearview mirror, it's going to be a matter of time before you knock into something. So what I've learned is that we live well looking forward, but we live wisely looking backward. And that's what the teacher is saying here. He's saying living with death in view helps us to live wisely. And that's why the psalmist prays this in Psalm 90, verse 12. He says this, teach us to number our days. Teach me that my days are numbered, Lord, so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Have you ever wondered why funerals are so much more solemn but sobering than weddings and birthdays? It's because sometimes we run so hard and so fast in life that something happens to somebody and we're entering into their funeral and we are sitting down and we are forced to stop and think about what's really important in life, about what's really important to the people around me. How can I treasure every breath and every moment that I have rather than chasing dreams after dreams after dreams after dreams? So funerals teach us to contemplate about life and to treasure what is truly important to us and to make the most of every breath that we have. So friends, knowing this today, how are we going to live wisely before we die? The teacher tells us how. In verse seven to nine, he says this, go, 
eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life. Now, meaningless is not that it's completely meaningless. Remember, it's in the context of like a vapor, like a mist, like steam. It comes and it goes, meaning it is short. It comes and it goes. God has given us that under the sun, all our vapor-like days. So after discerning three observations about life and death, the teacher arrives at one conclusion. And his conclusion is this, enjoy life now. YOLO, you only live once. Seize the day. Carpe diem. Make hay while the sun shines. Stop and smell the roses. Do what you can while you can. So how do we do so? Let's start with the first word. The teacher begins with the word go. And this word go in the Hebrew has the connotation of a command. Is an instruction. He says, go. You see, up till this point, there are a few times that the teacher actually told us how to enjoy life. But the word that we learn, or the word that we read in the Bible is the word command and not com command. Commend and not command. Commend and not command. To commend means I suggest. It will be really good if you can do this. To command means you have to do this. You must do this. The teacher is saying here, in the face of death, this is what you have to do. This is what you got to do. And he tells us three things. He says, number one, enjoy your meals. He says, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. So many of us are doing this already. I'm so proud of us. For God has already approved what you do. It's not a problem for the most of us. The teacher is commanding us to enjoy the simple pleasures of life. So after this, when we say amen and goodbye and you're done with the fellowship, you're all going to go out for your lunch, isn't it? Maybe some of us are already thinking about what to have lunch. And whatever you're thinking, whatever you're having, remember, take your time to enjoy it. Don't rush through the meal and say, I got to do something else now. Rush through my meal in order to do something else. But enjoy your meal while you can because God has already given that meal to you. That's why we say thank you, Jesus, for the food. So eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Just make sure that you, when you drink wine, you're not underage. So enjoy your food, number one. Enjoy your meals. And the second thing the teacher says is this. Enjoy every moment. He says always be clothed in white. And always anoint your head with oil. Now notice the two always, always and always. Literally what this means, what this translates is at all times, every moment. So what is the teacher telling us to do in every moment? He says to be clothed in white and to anoint your head with oil. Now this doesn't mean that we should all now start to change our wardrobe into white clothes, okay? Then I'll be in trouble because all my clothes, most of my clothes are actually black. And so is the worship team when you see them come up later. He's not asking us to change your clothes or to go shopping. But if you so will want to go shopping, go ahead, okay? But you don't have to change your clothes to white. What it means is when you wear white, it is a, is a, is a, is a, is a moment to celebrate. Because when, the opposite idea is when you wear sackcloth and ashes, you are in a moment of mourning. 
you are in a moment of sadness. But when you wear white, you're in a moment of joy. You're in a moment of celebration. So he says, always clothe yourself with white. And then he says, anoint your head with oil. Now, once again, he's not asking us to start putting olive oil on our hair, okay? My youth pastor used to do that a lot. He, he will always recommend me. He says, olive oil will help your hair grow. <laughs> Hasn't worked for me yet. He's not asking us to put olive oil on our heads. And I can see from here, just looking around, some of us don't need that extra shine. You already have that shine on your head. In the context of the Old Testament, to anoint your head with oil has this symbolic of joy and celebration. Remember King David when he wrote Psalm 23 and then verse 5 where he says, you prepare for me a table before uh, my enemies, in the presence of my enemies, he's telling God, and you anoint my head with oil. So it is a banquet, it is a celebration. And that's the reason, that's the, that's, the, that's the reason for putting on the oil on the head. So what is the teacher saying here? Take time to celebrate life and every little moment of it. So celebrate your special days. Thanksgiving is coming up, so celebrate Thanksgiving. Celebrate your birthdays. Celebrate your wedding anniversaries. Celebrate all the little things that happen in your life. Celebrate Christmas. Whatever that you can celebrate that is worth celebrating, go ahead and do it. And it also means go on holidays. Plan your holidays. If you cannot go on a holiday now, start planning for it. Take a trip down south, right? Go for a staycation if you can. Go for a holiday and enjoy that moment with your loved ones while you can. Make time to hang out after this. Don't just run away. Stay in the foyer and then get time to, to fellowship and to speak with one another, to catch up. Hang out with your connect group and do life together. And if you don't have a connect group after the service, you can head on to the left side where the connect lounge is and we would love to help you to get connected so you can find a community of your own. So enjoy every moment. First thing is to enjoy your meals. Second thing is to enjoy every moment. And the third one is this, enjoy your marriage. He says this, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this Vapor-like, remember, mist-like life that God has given you under the sun. All your vapor-like days. Now the word enjoy in the Hebrew is the word ra'ah, which literally means to see. So the, the teacher is saying, see life with your wife, with your spouse, whom you love. It is in the context, seeing is in the context of exploring and experiencing all that life has to offer. So for example, if I say, I'm taking a trip down south to Albany, and you ask, well, what are you going to do in Albany? And I'll say, well, I'm going there to see the gap. I'm going there to see the natural bridge. I'm going there to see the people and how they live and to enjoy the food there. When you are seeing, when you're ra'ah something, you're experiencing the whole measure of what it has to offer. So when he says, see life, with your wife, with your spouse. He's challenging us to enjoy life with its ups and downs and all that life has to offer with our wife, with our husbands. And how many of us who are married know that life is not all up, 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 up. Marriage is not up, 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 up. Marriage is up and down, sometimes up, up, sometimes down, down, sometimes up, down, up, down. He wants us to see through all the ups and downs with our spouses, with our wives. So invest in your marriages. Put time into it. Make time for dates. If you haven't had one, start planning it. 
Now take out your phones and start making a, a, a booking reservation for a restaurant. I preached the same sermon in the morning service and they have, they have already started doing it. So you're running out of reservation spots. Do it, quick. Romance one another. Buy something for one another. Now you don't have to wait till Christmas to buy a Christmas gift, do you? Boyfriends, buy a flower for your girlfriends. Girlfriends, buy a LV bag for your boyfriends. Equal exchange. So enjoy each other. Everybody say enjoy. Everybody say enjoy. And not endure. Okay, endure. No, no, enjoy your marriage. Pastor Benny once told of a story about a mature couple um, who was slightly older in age, more aged, and then they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Okay, this is not a story of Pastor Benny or, or Cecilia. They're not that old. But it's a story about a mature couple who just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And so they were sitting at their porch after all the guests had left. And the husband was looking at the wife. And he said, Darling, after 50 years of marriage, I have found you tried and true. And the wife turned back to the, to the man and said, Huh? You see, she was hard of hearing. Huh? And the husband turned back to the wife and said, I said, after 50 years, I found you tried and true. And the wife said, yes, me too. After 50 years, I am tired of you too. <laughs> I love this story. And I think there's many things to learn about this story. Not the tired of you part, but the fact that they've been married for 50 years. And, and, and me and Vanessa, my wife, we aspire to be married for 40 years, 50 years, hopefully even the 60 years, if God be willing. But God wants us to enjoy all our marriages, all the days of our lives, till death do us part. That's what it means. So friends, enjoy your meals. Enjoy every moment. Enjoy your marriage. In other words, enjoy life now. And then the teacher goes on to say this in verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So what is the point that the teacher is bringing across here? He's saying, do what you can while you can. So if you want to appreciate someone, do it now. If you need to say sorry, do it now. If you need to forgive someone, do it now. If you want to propose to your girlfriend, do it now. Nobody's boyfriend here? No pressure. If you want to start a business, do it now. If you want to give, do it now. If you need to share Christ or the gospel with someone, do it now. But most of all, if you need to receive Jesus in your life, do it now. Because there's no moment like the present. Do what you can while you can. Make the most of every moment that you have. And in this moment, the best decision that you can make, that you and I can make, is to choose to live with and to live for Jesus. The teacher has taught us something really important today. Do what you can while you can. Enjoy life now. But in the New Testament, Jesus teaches us something even more important. John 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life. Not just have life, but they may have it to the full. Not just an ordinary life, but a full life. 
Jesus, how many of us know that Jesus is not talking about the earthly life? He's talking about the eternal life. So when you have Jesus, because of Jesus, you don't just get to enjoy life. You get to enjoy a full life. Because of Jesus, we don't just get to enjoy life now. We get to enjoy life forevermore. Because of Jesus, we don't just get to enjoy this earthly life. But we get to enjoy eternal life. Amen. And that's not where Jesus stops. He goes on to say in, verse, in chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die on earth. But everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Church, do you believe this? If you believe this, say yes. If you believe this, say I do. If you believe this, say amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Church, because we believe in Jesus, because we believe in what he says, those who live and believe in him will not die. You can have the 100% confidence and assurance where you're going, what is going to happen to you, that you're going to be in heaven with God. You can take that to the bank. You can bring it with you to heaven. That's what Jesus is telling us. And death for us then is not a full stop, but a comma. Death is not a termination, but a transition into eternal life. Death is not the end, but the beginning of new life with Jesus Christ. Death is not our destiny, but our doorway into the very presence of a loving God. That is what death means for those of us who believe in Jesus. And so that on that day when we finally cross through that doorway, we can stand with the Apostle Paul in his declaration in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe this church? If you believe it, why don't you stand with us and let's just get into a time of worship into a time of celebration, into a time of believing and affirming what God has done in our lives.